right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the No Laying Up Golf Podcast. My name is Randy. I am joined today by Cody McBride. Cody, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, big. Second time this week. It's crazy. Talking I, LPGA again. I know. I hope the, the people are going to get sick of us, but uh, I'm not sick of it, and I know you're not either. Nope. We got a lot of stuff to catch up on in and around the world of the LPGA Tour and women's golf. So that's what today's show is going to be. Before we dive into our agenda, though, let me thank our sponsor. Titleist FootJoy has been a, a great partner for us. Just got going with them this year. And this episode is brought to you by FootJoy. As the LPGA season kicks into gear, we wanted to talk about our friends at FootJoy, the official shoe for no laying up. FootJoy is the number one shoe at the Founders Cup. And honestly, it's the number one shoe at just about every level of women's golf. It's the number one shoe on the LPGA, the Ladies European Tour, the number one shoe at the NCAA Women's Championships, at the Women's Amateur, the National High School Golf Championships, even, Cody. The list goes on. And a big part of it is that FootJoy only makes golf shoes and has for nearly 100 years. And when they make them for women, they make them in more sizes, more styles, and more options than anyone else. And they make them specifically for women with unique elements designed to maximize their performance and comfort. Players who care about their game care about what's on their feet. And whether it's women, men, juniors, professionals, amateurs, more of those players lace up a pair of foot joys when they get ready to play. Just like Jess Corda, Danielle Kang, Bronte Law, and half of every LPGA tournament field, we at No Laying Up are also among the nation of players who trust their game to the overwhelming number one shoe in golf, FootJoy. Thank them for being a great sponsor. Uh, Codeman, like I said, a lot to talk about today. We got International Crown to get into. You and I were, um, or I guess I was at the USGA Media Day. We played in the Pro-Am up at the International Crown. We got to look forward to the Founders Cup this weekend. A lot going on, man. Where would you like to start? I mean, we got to start with the international crown, right? I Thailand's think... back. You pressed me so much during the Chevron coverage. Where's Patty? Is she back? What's going on? <laughs> I think this is just another check to say, like, Patty's golf game is here. Yeah. I mean, what an impressive performance from Team Thailand. It, it, was, pretty, it was pretty much as resounding of a victory start to finish Thursday to Sunday as I think anybody could hope for. Team Thailand, Ataya Titicum, Patty Tavitanikit, and the Jutanagarn sisters, Arya and Moria. Um, yeah, just super impressive. Uh, they They're all so good. I think the, like, I honestly was more impressed with like the Jutanagarn sisters. I didn't really expect that like complete dominance to come from them. High hopes, of course, and, and kind of expectations for Ataya, but Man, Patty showing up, and then the sisters just, like, dominating. It, it, it was so cool to watch. And, like, them taking down a very, very good Australian team, they were so impressive. Like, they, uh, uh, like, I, I don't think really anybody saw the ties coming like this, but Australia was just dominant from, like, the get-go as well. 
Yeah, yeah, they were. And that that pool with Thailand, Australia, Japan, and South Korea, I mean, that was, you know, in the soccer parlance, that was the group of death. And Thailand and Australia just separated themselves. Uh, of course, the U.S. and Team Sweden advanced from the other pool. We can talk a little bit about that. But, yeah, you, you mentioned the Chitanagarn sisters. They were paired up all week. They went 5-0, and did not lose a match. Uh, Aria was voted MVP of the event for both on course and off course. And Cody, I don't know if you got to see the trophy presentation. I mean, that I think that was my favorite moment of the week. <laughs> they presented Team Thailand with these little, I think they were from like Tiffany and Company, these, these, yeah. these crowns. And I'm not sure if they were supposed to be worn, but Team Thailand, they all put them on their put head. Yeah, you know, they, they started waving like, you know, beauty pageant <laughs> contestants. And it was funny because, you know, a couple of them like were just really trying to balance it on top of their head. Uh, they just seemed like they were having so much fun. You could tell uh, they just seemed to really care about each other. And it's cool that we can see them compete as a country and as a team in an event like this, because as we've bemoaned several times, there's there's no real women's equivalent to the President's Cup as of now. So this is the closest we're going to get to you know seeing Team Thailand or at least four members of Team Thailand compete together. You want to talk about like camaraderie and sticking with like your peer group? I, I just like watching the the Thailand team out there. It honestly felt like I'm like, oh, that's kind of a look into what they do like week in and week out. I'm sure they they travel together. They they stay around the same places. They probably eat dinner together. A lot of them share swing instructors and physios and everything else. That's part of this like moving you know, caravan of the LPGA tour. And you it, like this event highlighted that of like, wow, this isn't just like four individuals who come together, obviously two of them being sisters, but like this is a family and this is their Thai family. And this is them finally being able to like display and, and like on the world stage, what they do and how they feel about each other and their overall just domination. Like it just goes to show how cool team events are and like team events that make sense. I think that's the biggest thing. And I it just highlighted again, a gap that there's no real president's cup like event on the LPGA tour. Uh, I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that this is the equivalent of that, but I hope that this event as awesome as it was to experience it firsthand continues to grow strength and get more and more. And, and I'm not even talking about like money or anything else like that, but, probably additional TV coverage that we need to get to, to be able to show like how awesome this event truly, truly was. Yeah. Amen to that. This was the first year it had been back since just before COVID. So a very welcome return to the calendar and they'll play it every other year. So the next, the next iteration will be 2025. I believe it will be over in Korea, which might not be the greatest for our viewing, but honestly, I think will be like the best place they could put this event with just how nuts South Koreans are for women's golf. And obviously the South Korean team should be among the favorites like they are every year. God, I was not expecting their performance this year though. Man, I know. I was, I was riding hard from, I honestly, LPGA social uh, put out like a real, a real, if, if people didn't see that, but they basically asked us during the program, 
you know, what are our thoughts on the course? What were your kind of expectations coming in? And then obviously pick a winner. And you guys had UNTC had some very strong picks. And I honestly felt like I, I hate being in those situations <laughs> because you feel like kind of guilted into picking something else that like one of you two didn't pick already. Like yeah. I can't just be like, oh, I love the sweets. Like everybody knows that. I can't be like, oh, well, I'm going to go for the Aussies because we we have good friends on the Australian team and, and they're tight with us. Oh, that's already been picked too. So I went with Korea and I truly felt like I thought this was going to be kind of everything that I said about like the team from Thailand. I thought Korea was going to rally together. They've had like history wise, they have incredible performances in this event and they just like, they just didn't show up. No, they didn't. And again, I think some of that is probably didn't play nearly as well as they would have hoped. But I think some of that is you just got to give credit to Thailand and Australia as well. Yep. Um, I, th I You mentioned something that I, I want to ask you. Uh, You're talking about just the, the camaraderie and it just oozed through the television screen how much Thailand felt like a, a cohesive unit. And I think one thing that whether it be Solheim Cup or honestly, even this week at, at, at the International Crown, I think the big worry with Team USA is that I, I never quite feel that same sense of camaraderie out of a, a, a collection of, of American players. Is, is that fair? And is that reason to kind of keep worrying about the Solheim Cup? Well, I think it's very fair. I mean, we have, like, the U.S. team usually has, like, you know, for the inter international crown, I'll say, you know, Nelly and Lexi are, are superstars in the women's game. And really, there are few women's professional athletes that kind of transcend their sport. And, like, Nelly's getting to that point. And I would say Lexi's, like, kind of been there. Like, mm -hmm. Nelly is the, the face of what you would say of, like, you know, Nike professional athletics now uh lexi's been there for a long long time and and i think it's hard when you have people who are so used to weekend week out running their individual teams and then you want them to come together and kind of you know be able to mesh with this uh, a team of four and there's not really room to really escape when it's just a team of four uh i thought that like lilia was the perfect glue for all of them and yep. then danielle just kind of you know she's always danielle she seems to like thoroughly enjoys the crowds like she is the ultimate performer it's just sometimes like when the game's not there the game's not there and i thought she had an incredible week um it's just asking a lot for them to come together like this when you're so used to playing individually the vast majority of the time solheim cup there's other you know there's multiple other people that are on a team and I think you have natural bonds of people who are used to traveling and playing practice rounds and everything else together. And I think that's where, like, you see with the, the Aussies that were on Team Australia, they all play practice rounds together. They're right. very good friends. Uh, I, I don't, from what I know, like, that's not really the case with the American team that we put out this year. Not saying that they're not all incredible individual players. It's just that they don't really do a lot together. They're all very much individuals. And do you think some of that, I, I feel like some of that is just the dynamic of the majority of the LPGA season takes place here in the United States. Absolutely. I, you know, how, how different would it be if, if the majority of the season was spent in a foreign country? I, I feel like we would see those American players 
kind of bond and and create those you know practice round environments and they're going to dinner and you know you, you kind of look for the familiar faces when when you're in a, a foreign country yeah a hundred percent and and you could say like obviously it's the four best uh women that the the u.s could have put up but mm -hmm. if you would say that we take one of them out and throw Jess in there and you have Nellie and Jess playing together, I think like team dynamics would have completely changed. Yeah. You know, I think it's just hard again when the schedule is so US based. And even when you do have, you know, the beginning Asian swing and then in the fall, the Asian swing, like majority of the Americans, they're not really traveling and playing all of those events. They're doing maybe one, maybe really two, but they're still like, you know, it's, it's not forced camaraderie like you get with the Aussies, the Thais, the Koreans, even the vast majority of the Europeans. Like, we need to talk about the Swedish team here. And, yeah. you know, I would say uh, Swedish by way of Orlando, probably. But, like, <laughs> Team Orlando, if I can call them that. Like, they get it. They all play together. They practice together at home. You know, they have just an incredible bond between them that I think is because of, like, they're forced to be away from their home as, you know, to play the LPGA tour. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of them come up together. Uh, I, I think they're sharing swing coaches, you exactly. know, they fall back on their national teams. There's a ton of national pride just because they're out there, you know, they're literally just doing it, you know, as a group, it's not so much individual, even you can see that in, in celebrations after some of them win, Yeah, you know, week in week out when we watch, LPGA Tour, I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, everybody's happy when an American wins. And there's obviously, you know, friends that you have on the tour and other support staff and everything else like that. But you don't see a lot of, like, true peer-to-peer -peer, uh, people running out there from, like, the top players in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think, just to kind of wrap this point, that's, I believe, part of the impetus behind the USGA trying to develop this national team program, let's call it, right? Where where they provide, you know, home bases for American youth golfers and just create environments where you're you're getting what will turn out to be, you know, the the men and women who go on to compete on Ryder Cups and Solheims and Curtis Cups and Walker Cups. You're kind of bringing them together or trying to uh, a little bit earlier in their lives and, and just getting them used to each other. And, and I, I do think that that time you spend with people away from the golf course, uh, plays such a big role when it comes to these team events. So very well, interesting. Sp yeah. Specifically the small team events. And I think I, I want to drive in that difference. Cause I do think it's a huge difference just playing as a four, you know, a, a four player team versus a Solheim cup where there's, you know, 10 plus players plus additional coaches and support staff and everything else. This yeah. is so small that honestly, like on the U S side, there were still their individual coaches that were out there. They're, you know, I get it. They're doing dinners and everything else like that, but it's still, it's not to the point where like, it's a true team environment. And, and if I could, like I, I always try. So we know that this event is going to be back and it's played every two years. So I think of, of the next iteration of it and i think of like who would be on that team and if, if you know obviously completely hypothetical but i think of like a rose and how rose would fit in in this yeah. team and i'm like wow 
it's a very very good team so who would who would probably be the fourth person that would drop out of that team if i say a rose or any other you know person who's on the tour right now or somebody coming up out of college and i'm like you know what rose brings to the table that lilia brought to the table that unfortunately nelly and lexi do not they're used to playing college golf yeah. like this is the norm for them uh i think it's a huge dynamic uh that like that Nelly and Lexi just kind of are missing out on because of their, you know, they went straight from amateur golf. And, and I, I get that they played in team competitions and everything else like that. But when it's just a, a, a group of four, it's completely different. There's not a lot of places that you can go hide. And if you don't have your the stuff, you know, you're exposed and you're exposed quickly. I had not connected those dots with, with the college golf experience. That's That's a really great point. Well, we mentioned Team Australia finished second. They had a, a, a hell of a week and just, like we said, ran into a buzzsaw there in the finals. Team USA did finish third and Team Sweden finished fourth. So any any particular matches or performances, any takeaways that, that you want to highlight here, Cody? Well, obviously we... You know, we published the podcast with Lilia on Tuesday. Please, if people haven't listened to that, go listen to a complete ball of energy. And just from us, you know, I think you and I, we probably felt a little guilty taking time from her just because we knew how exhausted yeah. that she was. Uh, it's an awful lot. And that, you know, winning the Chevron and then going to her, I get she has two hometown events now being like an L.A. girl, but like going to the the L.A. championship, and had a poor performance and that clearly was just gutting for her like she hated the fact that she played poorly at wilshire and she showed up to the international crown ready to go full of spunk incredible perspective but clearly was like exhausted mm -hmm. she was like you know this is this is a lot more i did not expect all this to come from from winning and it was just a ton she even said like a ton of you know media obligations and stuff <laughs> like that which we are hundred percent are a part of um, and we feel guilty by it. But on the flip side, I'll say this, Hannah Green had an incredible, incredible win in LA at Wilshire. I thought she was going to be like, you know, wind out of her sails, completely exhausted from going into a playoff. It was a long, long final round for her. And she came in ready to go still just like clearly riding that wave. And she didn't let up. I mean, she she held it together. She was a, a key part of that Australian team and a solid, solid week for them. And like, I get it. You know, they're clearly disappointed with their second place finish, but it was really cool to see that come through. A hundred percent. And I, I think I was a little surprised maybe that Hannah, not so much that Hannah played singles, but... I think I was a touch surprised that Stephanie Kiriako uh, ended up playing singles, but uh, tough to argue with the results. Uh, and I only say that because Minji Lee yeah. is is right there. Um, but as we'll get into maybe later in the in the podcast, not low key like not a great year for Minji. So no. I, I think I, I think the big things. The, the, the eye-opening result, and you mentioned, like, Lilia has to be gassed. Uh, in, in that third-place match, though, Madeline Sagstrom beating Lilia 5-4. and four. 
I know that that has to piss off Lilia, but I'm sure she she was grinding all week. I, I'm sure that was kind of a wind out of her sails. Tough to get up for a third place match, uh, but but that was an eye opener just because you know there's certainly a, a world where those two could be playing a Sunday singles at the Solheim Cup. I think the other one that, you know, Ataya Titicum just took care of business. She beat Lexi in the semis three and two, and then came back in the finals and won four and two over uh, over Stephanie Kiriakou. So just a, a, a real baller performance from her. In fact, Team Thailand as a team went 11 and one. Their only <laughs> loss, uh, Lilia Vu clipped Patty Tavitanikit one up in the semifinal round. And... I mean, they were they were what two holes away from going twelve and zero clean sweep of the week. That that was really impressive, and I just God, I just think Atai Titicum, she's going to be such a stalwart for that for that Thai team. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like you want to talk about like momentum builders to kind of get the you know the main part of your season going. I think of Ataya and I think like huge expectations for her coming into this year. I think of Madeline and like how big this week was for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously moving on and we're going to talk about the founders in a little bit, but like a course in a tournament where she's had success, like she loves that golf course. Um, I just think that this is like such a good, a good catapult to like the rest of their years, just based off this incredible performance and being part of this team environment. Yeah. And talking to team Saxstrom, I think she had, she had been struggling a little bit early in the year. Her results reflected that, but uh, based on her overall play week of international crown, I, I, I think it's very optimistic going forward. And honestly founders and the way she played at upper Montclair last year, Really like her this week, but we'll save that. We'll 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 put a pin in that for now. I think the other thing, I I just you know, Team China for not really having household names. I, I'm like I'm not that familiar with really three out of the four players. I, I know Runin Yin, who really just because she won earlier this year on on tour. She's 20 years old though, and she's got just talking to some of the caddies and and trying to you know who who do you like you know who should i keep an eye on they all spoke very glowingly of her i I think that's certainly a name to keep an eye on and it just feels like team china is going to be a country that you know just keeps building and building and and seeing more success uh amongst individuals and collectively as a team here over the next several years you know, again, I'll go back to what national programs do and having professional tours where they can grow and cultivate and like truly get these players ready to get out on the LPGA tour and go out by themselves. But they're truly not by themselves. They have like little pods that they travel around with. And you can see that shine through again with Team China. You know, it seems like every time we talk about it, the, the one thing that I missed out on from Team China this year is that I, I wanted their national coach to be there. Of course she wasn't, <laughs> yeah. but their performance is like truly for being a, a an underdog, which is funny because the Aussies kept trying to say they're underdogs all week. Isn't it clearly was not the case, but <laughs> it, it like China's going to be there for a long, long time. They continue to just get better and better and better. And these players that like, they're fearless. They, they're coming mm-hmm. up. They don't care. They're just out like truly looking for for throats to take 
Yeah, Shan Shan Fang is a Team China coach. She's just the best. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, Cody, we got a chance to play with her in the Pro-Am. Maya Stark, uh, Team Sweden. Talk to me about just the impression that she made on you through our time spent together Wednesday and then what you saw in the event. I think my big thing is what a wonderful experience leading up to what will be her first Solheim Cup later this year. She played really, really well. You would not expect her, you know, her second year on the LPGA Tour. You know what? I think what I learned from her during the Pro-Am is that, like, she is 100% okay separating, like, her life and her golf. Her golf is not her life, and she's very young, and she just has a really good head on her shoulders. And she's talked about, you know, mistakes that she made in the past and and playing opportunities that she took up at one time you know i asked her because the a lot of uh you know a lot of the the sweet well not even just swedes but like a lot of the players have no issues going and playing in ramco Teton series or the the saudi invitational or anything and she said like yeah i've played in one saudi uh saudi invitational and like you know when i came back i thought about it and you know i i took the full experience in and I didn't judge everything. And, and then when I look back on it, I realized that, you know, maybe that's not the best place for me to go play. And the money is there. It's an incredible opportunity for these women to go play and make incredible money. But her knowledge and ability to like, kind of look at things that are greater than golf and be able to do her own analysis of it um, was really like, you know, awesome for me to hear and for her to like kind of talk it through to me. I was like, you know, you have a really good head on your shoulders for being so young. I talk about this in the recap pod. It blows my mind that her, Lynn Grant and Ludwig are all part of the exact same class that graduated high school together from the West Coast Academy in Sweden. It has to be, a, we're waiting on Lynn <laughs> and Lynn's going to be over in a couple weeks. Like that's when the the immigration restrictions are lifted and we're going to, you know, high, high, high expectations for her and what she's going to do the rest of this LPGA tour season. And Ludwig obviously turning, uh, you know, pro- getting wrapping up his senior or his college career right now. But man, I learned a ton from her. Her golf game is so sound. She hits the ball square so often. She doesn't miss fairways. You know, she hits it a long, long ways, um, which is, uh, again, we say it all the time, how like relatable their games are to ours. And really, it's not even relatable at all because they don't miss the center of the fairway and they hit every single green. I mean, the distances are the same, but like they just take like the very best days of ours and they just put it on repeat. And it was so cool to see. And it's it's hard to rib her or give her a hard time about, you know, being a poor green reader and everything, and then just watching her drain like all the putts in the world we needed. Yeah, I know, including a chip in on the 18th yeah. hole when we needed her most. She came through. We were scoreboard watching. We were uh, we were at 13 under as a team, standing on the par five 18th tee. We knew there was a team in at 14 under, and we were like, we we really wanted to just go win it. We didn't want to get in the scorecard playoff. And we, we hit two shots just to the front left kind of fringe area of the green, leaving a chip. 
the four of us all played decent chips, but you know, nothing really scaring the hole. And then Maya steps up as the last to go and just chips it. Like, honestly, never a doubt right in the cup, the whole way we go crazy. We get in the house at 15, think that's a walk off Eagle to win it. And then like an hour later, our, our hopes were crushed as a team got in at <laughs> 17 under, but I mean, it was just fun. It was even in like a, a dumb little Wednesday pro-am setting just to see her step up and a, a shot that we had just built up, right? We, we had kind of made it a, a big deal amongst our team and, and to see her execute and, and chip that ball in, you know, we, we certainly celebrated like it was a momentous occasion, uh, but that just told me a lot about her, right? Just not afraid of the moment and I'm just so excited to have met her and spent the time with her. As you said, just such a, I don't know, a good level-headed, like wise young woman. And it's impressive and her golf game matches it. And, you know, it's just, she's got a fan of me and it's just one more player. You know, I add her to my favorites and we'll just look forward to keeping tabs on her week to week as we go along here. And an incredible caddy too. He was awesome. Their their banter back and forth could not be like more perfect to keep her light and loose. And she talked about, it. I was like, hey, so like, what are your, you know, what gets you in trouble? And she's like, well, I, I expect a lot. You know, I expect a lot from my golf game. And sometimes when things aren't going right, I get kind of down on myself. And he's the first person to pull me out of it and be like, hey, we're not searching for perfection here. You know, you're not going to hit everything to your, you know, your exact number to your, the exact spot where you want it to finish every single time. And being able to accept those results, we we joked as a team, we we talked a lot about P and Lynn and being able to separate and like put things in your boxes and and realize when it's time to play, you know, when it's time to work and and when it's time, you know, whatever. You know the boxes better than I do. But she uses that in like her normal life too and she's She's gotten to the point now where she's like, okay, when I'm at the course, I'm working. And when I'm not at the course and I'm not doing, you know, Yarder's book work or anything else, I'm binging Netflix and Hulu and everything else and and talking to my friends back home and trying to explore, you know, new restaurants and new cities. And like, she's just totally taking in every aspect of the LPGA tour. And it was awesome, awesome to get like that from her and realize, you know, she's so like bubbly and uh not like uncontrollably bubbly but being able to like see the excitement in her and be like you know how cool it is for me who grew up in like western sweden to be able to go and like i get to explore la two times a year yeah and how awesome of an opportunity that is for her and she's like it's just so much stuff that you get to do and explore and she's like we go to amazing cities and meet amazing people and it's like truly she's like this has always been a dream of mine and she gets to live out her dream and you know she's going to keep having this perspective on everything in her life guarantee you more wins will come yeah yeah i, I think that's perfectly said and she, she's got the game for it, it it's a game designed to be a high floor and i think on the weeks where she's she's sticking her her wedges and short irons and making some putts she's gonna be you know just about as good as anybody week she week. makes so many putts it's it's silly like she just gets gets the ball the, her her role on her putter i was like man that's what i spent the majority of the time watching i'm like uh-huh. 
how do you get it rolling so smooth so often? I'm like, this is incredible. I know. I, <laughs> as somebody who's really struggling with right. the ball coming off the putter right now, yeah, it, it's, God, just seeing that ball start and, and seeing that marker line just perfectly end over end. <laughs> It's, <laughs> I'm jealous. But again, it's funny, like her short game, because she's like, I spend, you know, growing up, I would spend six, seven months literally just hitting balls in a simulator. Like mm, I, yeah. I would work on my, you know, stroke, but you can only put so much inside on mats. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of it's all simulator golf. And you're like, man, this is, where did I miss out on? Cause she's, she's got it working. Last thing we, we, of course, pro-am the other big, Partner of ours was the commissioner Molly Marcusaman. Uh, not to not to short shrift her. Uh, TC and I we, we all kind of got into it last Sunday's pod, but Cody, I feel like you were you were banning the board. So I just wanted to ask you, give you a chance to expand on any thoughts talking with her. You know, perceptions going in and how you felt kind of leaving the day after spending gosh nearly six hours with her. Well, I think. I'm kind of in the same boat as everybody else. And I've been searching and and kind of hoping for her moment to come out and, and be more vocal about where she's at, where she thinks the tour is at, things that she can do, because it seemed like she doesn't really do like a ton of media stuff. And even when you get to events and she'll put out a couple statements or something like that, it doesn't really get amplified to the level where, you know, most commissioners talking points are. And I think, at times, I've probably been like overly critical of her on that. I think, you know, I've been very vocal on this podcast of her getting in front of a lot of the Aramco or Saudi investment stuff and kind of what her thoughts are in the LPGA tour. And she's said before, like, if she gets a phone call, like, she that's a call that she would take because at the end of the day, she just wants her players, you know, to be not rewarded, but playing for, for purses that, you know, continue to grow. And I think there's other things too. Obviously there's there's an issue with the locker room. There's an issue at the tour championship last year with not a lot of people showing up to the pro-am party. And I think from like talking to her and getting her perspective on a lot of things, I'm like, wow, man, I, I, I honestly felt very, very guilty because I think I've been overly harsh on her. But I also think that's part of her and her team's they need to do a little bit better job of like getting in front of communications and stuff like that. When we talk about the schedule, I would say that the schedule, you know, at the time, all that criticism came back to her, which ultimately she is responsible for. How do you expect these women to travel the world bouncing from location to location, location that like, we're not talking about like easy flights here. We're changing time zones. We're, we're hopping continents at times. And a lot of it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And ultimately, she knows that falls on her. And I think when that came out, like they could have done a better job of communicating it and saying, hey, you know, just like the PGA Tour, 2023 is a weird year. We obviously identify and know that things are not perfect here, but we're going to use it and we're going to get better. Me, overly harsh on her on that again. And I think that, you know, from hearing it from her and getting her perspective, you know, she just takes the information in that's that's provided to her. And I think she is, you know, coming into a new job where she is not used to the world of, of professional golf, but she is very, very used to the world of like high-end athletics. And I think that's where people cut her down a lot. And like, 
the majority of people who are they're coming into commissioner jobs like most of them are coming in from the business side of it all the things that she has planned if they actually are able to be executed like i have nothing nothing but like the highest of hopes for what the lpga tour is going to turn into not just scheduling wise but purse wise and other opportunities as well yeah i i think that's all very well said i i think my big concerns that i i wanted to make sure i raised to her were about the tv product and you know getting building out streaming options how, how can we make and certainly the the majors right how can we make the majors feel important whether it's on golf channel or nbc that was a bugaboo for me she certainly recognizes that she's got some hopes for for streaming ideas which again we'll just have to see the proof will ultimately be in the pudding um I asked her about, you know, another big thing that we've talked about recently, just with the majors, right? It feels like the LPGA has three majors with a real, real identity. And then two majors, the Chevron and, and Evian that, you know, what, what exactly is the identity here? She was extremely bullish on the Chevron and having it at Carlton Woods. So, you know, I'll, I'll, Take her word for that. I, I think first year, there's certainly some disappointing things. There were some things I liked. I'm willing to wait another year, maybe even two years, to, to really let that event in the new location get established. Evian, I feel like she didn't, you know, she, <laughs> she didn't give me much there. I don't know what she could have told me. I, I think that continues to be like the bolted on major. And we've told the story of why. And I, I just, it feels like, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do with that uh, sooner than later. Like is, are, are, is this a major? Do we want to continue to have five majors? Can we restructure it and make it, you know, uh, our own like part of elevated designated event series? I'm not sure what the answer is. Commissioner Marcusaman didn't really go into that one very much. So don't want to put any words into her mouth there. And then, yeah, I think the schedule stuff, like you said, I, She's just in a position where forever the, the, the sponsors have had the leverage and have been able to really dictate to the tour, well, we want the event in this part of the calendar and our priority for this event. You know, she was explaining some of these events, they don't really care about television. Like that's not their motivating goal. It's, it's, a, it's an event that they use. Maybe they're bringing in vendors or customers from across the country. And it's like, hey, we just want to show them a good time for you know three, four days. And it's really hard to have tournaments like that where you're working with sponsors who like couldn't care less. I shouldn't say couldn't care less, but don't really prioritize television and television windows and spots on the calendar with fans like us who are so accustomed to, you know, we watch a lot of PGA golf and, and there's a standard there. Right. And that's where, you know, it's, it's not just the LPGA's problem. I, I give a lot of grief to golf channel, NBC sports. I feel like they could invest more into the women's product, but commissioner Marcusaman, I mean, her thing was just, we're, we're trying to build up demand to where we can kind of even out or get back some leverage when we go to current sponsors, future sponsors, and and when we build out the schedule. So I think that will be an important part of it. 
so yeah we'll we'll just continue to see we'll continue to monitor i i just i really enjoyed commissioner as a person i felt like you know she was very interested in us personally getting to know you know who we are what we have going on in our personal lives she was sharing some funny anecdotes about her kids and it was just nice to make that connection on a personal level so hopefully we'll like yeah, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I'll say there is like not just personal connections and like obviously every adult like if you're a, a parent or you know I don't want to say the parent but like adults that have like in the professional world everybody's interested in like everybody has normal like banter back and forth like when you get to know somebody but she was like she went so much deeper than that. Like you can tell that she was like generally like interested in not just who we are as like no laying up, but who we are as individuals, how our families are, what our families are into. I asked her a ton of like parenting questions and like getting, you know, talking to her and like, again, like you put her on this pedestal of like the commissioner and then she's like, well, you know, I got three kids and like two of them are teenage daughters and like I got a, a, a son that like I'm trying to chase down and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, you're, you know, you're a normal person and you have normal person responsibilities just like everyone else. And uh, it was cool to see like that side of her. The other thing is that at no point in time did she like overshadow Maya. And like it was so cool seeing them go back and forth in conversations and like you know, Maya was saying things to her and she was taking it and like, yeah, like those are all great points and like was just completely open to whatever suggestions um, that anybody had. And I think when we talk about like obviously coverage and I agree with you and I think probably some more streaming options are absolutely needed. Um, she's working on those and if they come through, it's going to be amazing. But when, if you want people to invest in the game, you want people to invest in your sport. Like, you got to get them, like, you got to get eyeballs on them. And I think you, you're letting off NBC very, very easy. <laughs> and I know we say this a lot, but, man, I don't understand, like, you know, we asked her about the, the big day down at Chevron when you had NBC executives, you had, you know, PJ Tour Commissioner, yeah, PJ of America, you know, director, everybody down there. And people, you know, she even said, they're like, hey, the, what's the big thing that people talked about? And they're like, oh, well, we talked about the schedule. We talked about TV. Like, yep, that makes a ton of sense. Well, where are these? Everybody's supposed to be part of this, like, big global, you know, strategic alliance here and there. But it doesn't seem to really, like, play out. It doesn't seem like the LPGA Tour is really ever on the beneficiary side of, of any of these discussions. And I think it's time to, like, hold people accountable for this shit. And I say shit because that's what it is. It's a bunch of crap, man. Like, how come L the LPGA Tour is always on the losing end of it? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it like it's to the point where it gets to be so frustrating. And I was, again, I'll bring it back to so pumped because we've been harboring for, like, a co-ed mixed event for a very long time. And I think it's going to be awesome. And it's a very good start, the event that's going to happen this winter with PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. And then for the PGA Tour to turn around and put a Champions Tour event, their own little version of like a three-way Ryder Cup thing, on top of it that I know NBC via Golf Channel is going to put ample TV time to. Like, I just don't get it. 
I don't understand. I, I've never met anybody who's like, man, I can't wait to watch the Champions Tour this week. Outside of their like immediate family, probably. I don't understand why the all these opportunities via TV time is given to a tour. We're like, on the flip side of it, like those hours should probably be dedicated to the Corn Ferry Tour. Like, I don't, I don't understand this whole thing at all. And people want to talk about all these DNI initiatives and everything else like that. Well, I think it's time to hold people accountable. You know? Yes, you're preaching to the choir. I there are a couple specific instances going back to Chevron, right? Because it's a major, and I, I think I voiced a couple of these the week of. But uh, there were two things that stuck out to me, and one is. You know, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, I I turned on Golf Channel, and as I sometimes do, I'm you know I'm I'm distracted with you know an iPad or I'm taking a little nap before coverage begins, right? So, that, so they roll from the Zurich Classic, which is say what you want about it, but it's got to be near the bottom of importance on the PGA Tour, right? But Golf Channel, we roll from Zurich Classic coverage right into Chevron coverage, which is a major on the LPGA Tour. And literally, Cody, I couldn't, I, I if I wasn't really paying attention, like I didn't notice any shift in energy, in graphics, in like music. There was nothing to like signal as we go to the Chevron Championship. Hey, this is a big freaking event on the LPGA tour. And I just find that very disappointing. And then you fast forward to the network coverage when it goes to NBC, like think of every men's golf major, think of like every big sporting event you watch on network television. There's usually some type of like video essay lead in or some type of like pre-edited put together uh, package that yeah, will, like, some montage or you name it. You Especially excited. Yeah, the first. I mean, I could I could rally off one off the top of my head right now. Hey, first year of the uh, what used to be the Dinosaur, what used to be the ANA, now is the Chevron. We have all this tra tradition and lineage and everything else. Now, welcome to Houston, and the city of Houston welcomes this championship with yes. open arms. We're here at the Woodlands, and you name it, you could literally do anything. But there's nothing like that. And it's just no. like, is this a big deal or is it not? And as you said, like at some point, like NBC, you you just have to be better. And it, it's just unacceptable kind of half-assing it on the LPGA coverage. And, I, and I'm just sick of it because as we've seen, the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, you know, the, the Women's World Cup, when you invest and make the product good, people are going to watch. It's it people. It, it's such a self fulfilling prophecy where you half ass coverage and half ass graphics and half ass everything to do with the women's event, and then it's like, oh well, the ratings weren't great. You know, nobody really watched it. What's well, like, well, y'all didn't put out a good product. You know, and yeah. so you're signaling to people this isn't as important or this isn't as big a deal as other stuff we do. And when we do see, you know, a, a good television package and investment and really building up players and storylines, 
guess what? The ratings are great. And it's such a ripe opportunity for Golf Channel, for NBC, for whomever wants to televise women's golf. But you just got to make an investment in it. And that's, you know, we we were venting that to Commissioner. And I think she gets it. And I, I think what you said is like, the LPGA, I just don't want them to like keep taking it. Do, like, don't let people pat you on the head and be like, "Oh, well, you know, we're we're you know we're we're doing this for you at least." It's like, no, man, screw that. Like, like they need to start advocating very strongly for themselves and sticking up for themselves. That's my hope. Yes, and on the flip side of it, again to NBC and the Golf Channel folks, like, what better testing ground do you want? You know, you exactly. want you want to try all these new things that you think you're going to like roll out for a PGA Tour event or, or, or a men's major somewhere. Come test them on no. the LPGA Tour. You can literally try whatever you want. It seems like uh, I'm so sick of the like the talking point of like, oh, the LPGA Tour is like super boring to watch. Well, it's not because of their players and it's not because of those women's golf games. That's for damn sure. Yeah, it's because of the product, mm-hmm. and like you want to come out and treat it like it's still like a 1980s men's broadcast. It's gonna be boring, man. But if you like the people who get the opportunity to talk to the players, talk to the people that are around the tour, it's like the furthest thing from that. Mm-hmm. Like they just, it, it, it's almost like they refuse to put like any personality of like gravitas into the coverage at all. Which you're like, wow. Like, it, being and going to these events and talking to them. And then what you see represented on the coverage, like it could be not, they're so opposite. It's fucking insulting. It is. And I, a standard disclaimer, this has nothing to do with the broadcasters actually broadcasting. Absolutely. You know, we, we love Grant Boone, Karen Stupples, Paige McKenzie, Morgan Pressel. This is not an indictment of their performance this is the boardroom at nbc and the resources and attention and energy that is being directed into this product here here (laughs) all right well that was cathartic let's turn our attention code man this weekend i mean speaking of stories to tell this weekend i believe is such a i don't know if hidden gem is the right word but maybe under appreciated underrealized event on the LPGA calendar. It is the Founders Cup and essentially what this tournament is, it began in 2011 as an ode to the 13 women who founded the LPGA Tour. And it, with that history in mind, I believe there's only maybe one of the 13 still living. They they've had living members at this event. They've they've made a point to you know, recognize and acknowledge very important people in the women's game, in the history of the women's game. And I'm just really excited that this tournament has found solid footing. Cognizant has come in as as a very good sponsor because I think it was a little uh, underfunded, under... How can I put it? I, I don't think they were maximizing what this event was and should be prior to COVID. They took a year off in COVID. And since that year, uh, 2021 was at Mountain Ridge Golf Club in New Jersey, a a top 100 course, Donald Ross, fantastic venue. And now this is the second year at Upper Montclair Country Club, also uh, in New Jersey, Clifton, New Jersey. 
and it's a wonderful golf course. It's a it's a Tillinghast originally. Robert Trent Jones Sr. did a lot of work on it, I believe, in the 1950s, I want to say. Um, but this should be, in my opinion, I mean, I really think this should be like the fourth LPGA major. But absent that, I, this is really the, the, the equivalent of the Players' Championship on the LPGA Tour. The one thing, like, troubled history i'll say this but i think it's difficult uh getting in any new event like off the ground i don't think a lot you know i actually liked it when it was in phoenix i liked the the march date that they originally had i think that obviously like the phoenix community with like a ton of retirees and everybody else like showed up for it i think it, it truly was a lot of it was a sponsor issue uh, uh maybe a little bit on the core side but I love the fact of where their new date's at, and I love them getting, like, Upper Montclair is so sweet, and it's awesome them getting to play another great, great old-school golf course, kind of the same way, like, you know, the LA Championship and them getting to play Wilshire. Like, yes, it's just really cool, and this is exactly the things that, like, the LPGA Tour should do and continue to do. And, you know, there are plenty of old, old classic gems that are out there that you can move some of these tournaments around to, so just very, very excited for this again and you know we talked about it a lot of the players that we're really into have success here they had success there last year they love the spot on the calendar looking for big things you know i kind of look at it like really the heart of the season is picking up now i think that's right we are i mean it's i'm always like man where's the season going we're about a quarter pull we've we've completed nine of the 35 events on the lpga schedule heading into this week so we're about a quarter of the way through the season i guess before we dive into the founders specifically cody i i tasked us with uh you know should we just run through kind of player of the year thus far rookie of the year and and maybe some of our biggest surprises yeah i think player of the year is an easy pick i mean did you it it, it has to be lily avu right yeah, she's having a heck of a year so far. I mean, she got uh, multiple wins, one being the major. She's played in a total of six events so far. The only real blemish there being a miscut, like I said, at the LA Championship at Wilshire following the Chevron, but really started out the year just, just super hot. It's incredible to see her form. It was awesome to talk to her about it. And again, I'm going to shout it out again. Go listen to her interview because it was, it was great to hear her. And, like, you know, she her game was truly like in, in the depths uh, and being able to pull it out and have the right team around her. Who's like a hundred percent supported and, and, and focused on what she cares about. And at the end of the day, she, even her, her words is that I just care about playing my golf and uh, you know, putting all those pieces together. It's just awesome to see, but yeah, she's clearly uh, leading that race. I would say, you know, maybe a, the close second and i would say still winless this year but nelly and that's just because of you know six top tens to start the year and you know the wins are going to come she's playing really really good just is not able to put you know four complete rounds together yet yeah yeah i it's uh nelly's right there kind of sitting in second place for me um i think she's probably going to have to win a major to to really make it a, a conversation but certainly at, at the quarter mark Lilia Vu is is easily the player of the year thus far rookie of the year is a little interesting and hand up Cody I <laughs> I don't know why in my mind I thought China's Runin Yin was a rookie 
um she had won this year so i was getting ready to say you know i i think she's my pick for rookie of the year only to find out actually last year was her rookie year yeah so um i it, with that being said it's an interesting race uh folks can go to lpga.com and uh all of these awards i i really like it that they're all uh just numbers based it, it's yep. purely based on performance and and points you get based off that performance so Currently leading is South Korea's Heiran Ru. But I think the, the rookie of the year, because I think I, I put a premium on on victories, I, I think Grace Kim, who's currently number three in the standings, but is the only one with an actual tour victory thus far. I, I think she would be my personal rookie of the year thus yeah, far. Yeah, obviously the the win of the Lotte Championship in Hawaii. Uh, what's going against her in that, that third place finish or third place in the rankings right now are those three missed cuts that she has. Then the only <laughs> other made cut that she has is a T-59 at the LA Open. But, you know, getting a win as a rookie, phenomenal. Uh, I, you know, total, I was shocked that there's there's 17 rookies so far that have received points. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, I was expecting the number to be a little bit higher than that, but a very spread out list. And, and Grace... Uh, even though she's not at the top of it yet, de the win definitely brings her to the top in, in my mind. And I will say, too, no wins, but outside of the one miscut, <laughs> uh, Lucy is on that list, Hell currently yeah. in fifth place with her 88 points. Uh, started out the year rough, obviously, in Arizona. We talked about that. You guys all gave me a very rough time for that. <laughs> but then followed it up with, with okay golf, and, you know, she's not happy with it, but T18 at LA Open. T23 in Hawaii. She played in Chevron. Obviously got the slow play penalty. That's tough. Um, T54 there. And then T33 at the LA Championship. And I will say, from the time that we spent in San Francisco last year, she shared with me an amazing food recommendation list. I hit off a, a couple spots off of her list when I was there. So she's gone above and beyond. And still uh, remains my number one rookie this year. I, I think... As we project forward, I'm I I, I want to ride with you. I, I'll still thank you. I still believe in her. Um, I, I still think we're gonna see some big things from her in 2023. Well, Cody, hit me with a couple of your surprises. They could be good, bad, otherwise. Uh, as as we think about the first fourth of the LPGA season, what's what's most surprising to you thus far? Well, <laughs> I'm sure this is on your list as well. But what's up with Lydia? I don't quite get it. Uh, started out the year, you know, her year on the uh, L.E.T. at the Saudi Invitational, obviously won then, um, but really just kind of had a lackluster season so far. I mean, she's obviously she took uh, like a T6 in Thailand. That's been her highest result so far on the LPGA Tour. She missed the cut at Chevron. She didn't really play very well at the L.A. Open. She's had a ton of weeks off, and you're just kind of – wondering what is going on everybody was really you know excited for her to start the year she came out with a bang but her game just doesn't really seem to be there right now and and i'm not saying it's concerns but we've gone through these these phases with lydia in the past as well um i just hope that she gets it together as we really get to the meat of like the major championship season because truly like i would love to see these top three just kind of lift and separate and be able to go and just battle it out week in, week out. Yeah, I think obviously the Aramco win in in Saudi 
that's a good win. It's it's a very good yep. field, uh, but that it does not count anywhere towards her LPGA season. So removing that, she's currently 51st on the season-long race to the CME list, which, you know, very pedestrian. I, I have to think as the weather heats up and, and the tour starts playing week to week, you know, she'll she'll get more starts. I got full trust in Lydia. I thought where where I thought you were going, Cody, and I kind of mentioned it earlier in the show is a hundred and fifth on the CME list right now is Minji Lee, and I think it's a bit more concerning just because we saw her game really start to slip at the end of twenty twenty two. So you know, really after. Uh, the AIG Women's Open, where she she was tied for fourth. I mean, her her best finish after that was a, a T thirty three on the LPGA Tour, and then fast forward to this season, and it's a lot more of the same. Her her best finish thus far is a T forty one, and it's just not what we're accustomed to seeing from her. I mean, she was very deservedly one of the two best players in the world for a lot of 2022 and i don't know i i'm a little bit more concerned again just because this has kind of been going on since last august and it's you can't say like oh it's just a couple of events anymore um she still has all the game in the world. She's only 26. Like I, I don't necessarily think it's time to panic, but it's certainly something that I'm monitoring and, and I think is the most surprising thing for me. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. I think uh, certain players really can capitalize on the momentum that was built at the International Crown. Minji, I think, is definitely one of them. Um, being in the team environment, playing as well as she did, even though obviously, you know, they ended up short, uh, but going to a course where she's had success, she's the defending champion. If there was ever a feeling that you wanted to kind of kickstart whatever funk she's been going in, getting back to Upper Montclair is definitely it. And that's kind of where I'm at with her. You took the words right out of my mouth. This is going to be such an interesting litmus test this weekend because, yeah, she she was damn near flawless last year in route to winning and to go back to the same course where I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend. Uh, any other surprises? You got one more surprise for me? No, I think the, the other thing we mentioned a lot, I think really it's not a, an individual or a thing. It's just a schedule and it's the wear and tear on the schedule. And you're really actually starting to see like, what this chaos actually breeds now, because uh, last week was a week off for a lot of people. There's going to be uh, the vast majority of players who show up in New Jersey this week are coming off a week off. But for the, you know, outside of really like Lydia and Brooke, who were not a part of the international crown, the rest of them, international crown players, they've just been going hard from Chevron to LA to a very, very long week playing 36 holes a day on the weekend uh now to the founders where like expectations are going to be pretty high for them and it just kind of sucks i could not imagine because you know the flight from west to east it always just takes so much out of you mm -hmm. now you layer on like how much golf they played uh last weekend on top of that like i just can't i cannot imagine you know 
Whereas I think like it could be a very good catapult opportunity for a Minji. I think of like the Hannah Greens and the rest of them. And really, I'll probably say like Patty started to look pretty tired too. All these people have been in contention like the last couple of weeks, like just being completely exhausted. Yeah, which is a bummer because I like I want them all to be kind of peak going into this event, but it, it will be interesting to see kind of who's who looks like they're out of gas after this week. Everybody gets a well. I, I think some are going to play in an Aramco event down in Florida, so I shouldn't say everybody's yep. going to get a week off. But at least LPGA schedule wise, it's a scheduled week off after Founders and then match play back in Las Vegas at Shadow Creek. Cody, I was the, the only other surprising thing, I guess, and I, I'm going to use Lydia uh, and and batch her in with Nelly and Ataya is just you know you have three of the top five ranked players in the world without a victory yet and you know i it's a bit unfair because nelly's played a lot of excellent golf just has not gotten any wins Pattaya's played pretty much really excellent golf uh we know lydia not quite but you know had you told me when we were doing this back in january if if we get into may and none of those three had won an, an lpga tour event i think i would have been like nah no way like i don't believe you so as far as surprises go, that was one that I wanted to flag, um, but I expect I expect that to change, and I hope that changes very quickly. Yep, very, very, very much agree with that. Do you know who the twenty twenty one champion at the Founders Cup was? Twenty twenty one was Mountain Ridge. Was that Jin Young Ko? Absolutely. Yeah, coming off a very, very rough week again. I I went out there on a limb. Team Korea, <laughs> they let me down. Jin Young, I think good things are coming. Well, let me let's go right into this. I wanted to make some picks for this weekend. Who who do you like? I, I kind of had four, right? So a, a favorite, if you will, to win. I'll just you know our good friends at DraftKings has eight women with better than twenty to one odds. That's Georgia Hall, Kai Jin Choi, Nasa Hataoka, Jin Young Ko, Lilia Vu, Lydia Ko. Ty Titicum and Nelly Corda. In my mind, those are kind of what we can call the favorites. So I guess out of that group, I, I'll even allow, you know, they they have Lexi at 25 to 1. I think she no. could certainly fit in that favorite category. But who amongst there do you like? Well, I'm not going to go with Lexi, that's for sure. But <laughs> I will say this. Somebody that I talked about when, when a little bit ago talking about the International Crown. And, and uh, you know, I put my heart out there for Team Korea. Obviously didn't come through for me, but I think Jin Young-Ko, I think she had, you know, great history at this event. It was obviously at a different venue, but I think she can use last week to, to truly like, you know, continue her season. She already has a win earlier in the year in Singapore. Um, she seems to be playing really well. So yeah, ready to go. Always a good pick. I, I like it. I'm going to go with Nelly though. I think I'm really going out on a limb here, taking the tournament favorite. But amongst favorites to win, I, she, she, Nelly actually would not be my overall pick to win. I, I will save that for our next category. But I think Nelly, uh, if you haven't heard, Joe LaCava is on her bag this week. Cantlay is is taking the week off. Uh, Nelly's regular caddy is on paternity leave, so kind of a fun one-off event for both of them. 
I think I don't know. For some reason, I just think having Joe there, new caddy, fresh energy. I, I think putts are bound to fall for her. It, it's a course that should set up really well for her. I, I'm I'm looking no further than the tournament favorite. Give me Nelly Corda. Yep, I agree. Very safe pick there. The only thing that's driving me away from that, this is her fourth week in a row. That's a that, lot. That is a concern. I'll just say she's a vibrant 24-year-old woman. <laughs> like, you know, uh, young legs, young body. Now's the time. I don't want to hear the excuses. That's that's what we always used to say uh, coaching basketball, too. You know, you guys are high schoolers. What does being tired mean? I love it. You're too young to be tired. <laughs> All right, what about dark horses here? Who do well, you think is a dark horse to win? I Hannah Green's one that's in great form. Um, would would take a long look at her, but Code Man, this might be the heart talking. Madeline Saxstrom's my pick to win. I, may I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, thirty-five to one odds. Uh, finished top four last year. Was really undone by a, a bad luck triple bogey in her final round or else she would have been right there, either in a playoff or perhaps winning in regulation. Talking to her team, they really, really like where her game is. She played really well at Harding Park. I I love it. I'm like, I, I think this is win number two for Madeline. I'm, I'm ready to pencil it in. I'm ready for her to call into the Sunday recap show. Let's do it. God, that's it. It, it. The exact same thing. We must we're, be. We're uh, of course, we're talking to the same yeah. people here, but. You know, the the only other person for some reason, you know, my good my good friend's uh uh Zoot, he's, he's a physio, follows the LPGA tour. He keeps telling me about Gabby Lopez. He keeps saying Gabby Lopez is on to things. Gabby Lopez has found some things. I don't see that in the results here. Um, but that's kind of the only if we're gonna go like true, true dark horse, that's the only name that I had in the back of my mind because I think, man, Madeline, she's working. And she's on to something. And uh, like, this is, it would be, maybe it might be too perfect for all this to line up here. I know. That's, that's honestly my biggest worry. Gabby is, is 65 to one per our friends at, at DraftKings. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, she, she could be the equivalent of, hey, I'm hearing Harris English is really flushing the ball. <laughs> flushing it. It, it could be, you know, Gabby Lopez. She's she's flushing the ball right now. Something to keep an eye on. <laughs> Any big names, Cody, that you expect to, let's say, miss the cut or have a have a relatively poor performance this week? Well, I hate to say it to you, but I think, um, you know, Hannah's been playing a lot of golf. I would say her making the cut here would be a very successful week. Uh, I would say the same for Nelly. I, for some reason, I think it's a lot between four weeks on the on the road, a new caddy, and I understand that Jolikov is like the goat. And people probably wondering how did Joe? I thought he was full time with Patrick. He's got the week off, and they share a swing coach, Patrick and, and Nelly do, and Jamie uh. Morgan. So that's where the connection comes in. Jamie's very good friends with Jolikova, um, and it was kind of a natural to. to find somebody to fill in here but from what we understand is that joe is going to be patrick's full-time caddy moving forward unless maybe there's some off weeks where patrick's not playing and you might see things like this pop up but um yeah i would say that those are probably the only two glaring ones that are kind of jumping out for me but uh i know i'm going out on a limb there because nelly doesn't really like miss a lot of cuts (laughs) uh but i think like again 
I understand they're young and they're in very good shape, but <laughs> the 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 travel. I mean, we were on the road for it's a real thing. One week, and I'm like, oh, I'm dead. We're old men, though. We're we're True. we're ancient. I I think along those lines, I was looking at at Patty Tabataniket. I I would not be shocked. You know, she she had spent so much time kind of on the west coast. She's very familiar with that part of the country. Flying east after a, a lot of weeks playing. I, I still think it's great, and I still want to believe she's trending in, in such a good direction, but I could see this week maybe being a, a slight step backwards for her. That's the one I pegged. Yep. Well, let's uh, – Code Man, I just wanted to wrap. I, I think it bears mentioning a little bit the Founders' Cup. Um, if you don't mind, if if you'll indulge me, I kind of wanted to just quickly talk about the 13 women that were – the LPGA founders. And there are some amazing things that I found researching them, some really fun tidbits. And my hope is, hey, maybe we learn a little something about these these very important women uh, in, in the world of, of golf and uh, hopefully have a better sense of appreciation for what this tournament is this weekend. So, with that being said, uh, I want to shout out Beth Ann Nichols, who was on their crusade a couple years ago. But all 13 of these women are now, as of last year, officially part of the LPGA's Hall of Fame. Uh, several of them had played their way into the Hall of Fame and were already Hall of Fame members. But as Beth Ann would tell me time and again, I cannot believe the LPGA won't put the founding members, all of them, into their Hall of Fame. Well, that has happened as of last year. Uh, everybody is now a part of the Hall of Fame. So good on them. I think that's great. The other thing I want to mention, which I did not realize, the LPGA, which was founded in 1950, it's the oldest continuing women's professional sports organization in the United States. So I thought that was pretty cool. Really cool. Let's go in alphabetical order. I'll be brief here. Uh, jump in when you want. The first founding member is Alice Bauer. And what I found most fun about Alice, uh, another founding member, Marilyn Smith, described Alice's backswing as, quote, making John Daly's look short, which <laughs> is a fantastic image. Alice was five foot one, but by all accounts, one of the longer hitters on tour. So just that mental image, right, of this of this short woman just absolutely, you know, banging the club off of her left side at, at, at on her backswing is just such a wonderful image. She never did win an LPGA event, though, uh, and she passed away in 2002 at the age of 74. Now, Alice had a sister, uh, Marlene Haig, but she was born Marlene Bauer, and Marlene was also one of the founding members. She was Alice's younger sister. Um, I, I think a fun little note, she finished eighth at the 1947 U.S. Women's Open as a 13-year-old. Um, oh. At 15, she won the Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year, the youngest person to do so. She went on to win 26 times on tour, had one major. And I think the most interesting tidbit, and this doesn't really have anything to do with golf, but more with life, uh, she married, so Alice was married to a guy named Bob Hagee. They got divorced. Well, Marlene ends up marrying the guy. So she married her older sister's ex-husband. Uh, that marriage, what? perhaps unsurprisingly, didn't last 10 years. Um, <laughs> they ended up getting divorced. 
But Marlene is the only remaining founder that's still living. She's 89 years old. So little fun tidbit there. Cool. But, but yeah, Marion, your sister's ex-husband, that's... <laughs> that's something uh you know you know speaking of real quick you yeah know, qualifying for the u.s women's open at 13 years old did you see the nine-year-old uh trying to qualify for this year's u.s women's open no that is nine years old insane oh my god i don't know if it, i mean is there a line somewhere i was just gonna say is it worth it to put an age minimum on qualification i mean it's it's crazy I guess crazy, it's crazy. Nine years old. The whole thing is, it's like the most, you know, it's it's supposed to be the most uh, meritocracy. The most, uh, what I'm struggling with that the form of meritocracy would be. But if it's truly going to be open, I guess you got to take yeah. all comers. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Um, third member, Patty Berg. She is the all-time women's major championship record holder. Fifteen majors she won. Uh, she won 60 times total on the LPGA, three times the AP Female Athlete of the Year. She was the first president of the LPGA. She passed away in 2006 at the age of 88. But Patty Berg is just, you know, she's she's on the Mount Rushmore of, of women's golf. Absolutely. The next one, um, Betty Danoff is, is a name that I didn't really know at all. I think um, in doing my research, probably her best accomplishment on the golf course. She ended Babe Zaharias's 17 tournament win streak at the Texas women's open, beating her one up. She was, uh, this is a fun fact. She was the LPGA's first competing grandmother, which was fun. And she passed away at the age of 88 in 2011. Helen Detweiler. This was fun. She toured in 1938, calling major league and minor league baseball games. The first female baseball oh. broadcaster. And Cody, you'll like this. She joined the Air Force in World War II and logged over 750 hours flying the Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress. That's that's really impressive. cool. Yeah. yeah. She won the Western Open, which was then a women's major in 1939 and passed away in 1990 at the age of 75. Next up on the list, again, alphabetical, Helen Hicks. She, I, well, I just said I didn't know much about um, Betty Danoff, but certainly didn't know much about Helen Hicks either. She passed away uh, way back in 1974, actually, at the age of 63 from throat cancer. She won two two majors in her time. Um, honestly, couldn't find much more than that. Which takes us to Opal Hill. This was very funny to me. So she was the oldest of the founders. She was actually born in 1892, which, you know, just seems forever ago, which it is. Um, but she took up golf at the age of 31 on a doctor's recommendation. I guess, you know, he was like, go out, get some air, get a little exercise. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll start taking up golf. Well, 14 years later, she had won the Western Open twice, uh, had turned professional, and obviously was one of the 13 founding members of the LPGA. I just, I love that. Betty Jamison, she was a 13-time winner on tour. She won three majors. She was decorated amateur career. I think the the her most lasting impact maybe would be she was the catalyst behind the creation of the VAR trophy, which is awarded Ooh. annually to the low scoring average each year on tour. So she passed away in 2009 at the age of 89. I should have said Opal Hill. She passed away in 1981 at the age of 89. A lot of these women lead in just long, great lives. Right. 
few more here. Uh, Sally Sessions, she was a state championship player in tennis growing up. I guess the story goes she had snuck away. She was from uh, the Detroit area, and one weekend she snuck away to Grand Rapids to play tennis. Her parents got very angry. When they got home, they grounded her. While she was grounded, she just started fiddling with golf sticks, eventually takes up golf, becomes a professional she was this is kind of a sad story she was diagnosed with leukemia in 1949 while playing on the tour uh shortly thereafter she stopped playing competitively but started repping wilson sporting goods uh was eventually a treasurer of the lpga and passed away at age 43 in 1966. Mm. all right this is the craziest like this is the craziest shit i've ever heard cody marilyn smith okay first her resume 21 time tour winner, two-time major winner, hell of an amateur career, was an LPGA president. Uh, actually, in 1973, became the first female to work a men's golf broadcast. But listen to this. She's playing in a tournament. I couldn't find the year, but she's playing in a golf tournament in Florida. Uh, she's paired up with Australian Margie Masters. And they get to a tee box, and I'm going to quote Margie now. She goes, I backed away from a shot because I had second thoughts about my alignment, just as I heard a gunshot ring out. It turns out a 45 Magnum bullet zipped past my head, exactly where I had been standing. It penetrated the ground inches from the scorekeeper's foot. We all hit the ground. Margie, Marilyn, the caddies, the scorekeeper, six or seven shots sprayed out over the golf course. Eventually convinced listen to this eventually convinced by tournament director to keep playing smith said she and masters were quote quivering as they somehow both made the cut and the cherry on top of it the gunman was never found what yes i Wait, mean do you know where this was at i don't know where in florida wow i know like literally a sniper tries to shoot them on the tee box they hit the deck and then the tournament director yeah, keep going. convinces them to keep playing. No, man. That's crazy. And they never found the guy. I assume it's a guy. Yeah. Yeah. What a wild story. Wow. I, I could not. I could not. I, I, like trying to keep your composure and like play golf after that. I mean, can you imagine the podcast talking about that? No, not, not at all. Marilyn passed away in 2019 at age 89. Um, the next one, Shirley Spork. I think hopefully maybe a name that people got to know the last couple of years. She was uh, she was dancing at the 2021 Solheim Cup on the tee box in Toledo. Just seemed like such a character. Um, she recently, last year, passed away at the age of 94. And while she never won on the LPGA Tour, she was twice named a Teacher of the Year. Um, just a, you know, a, a self-taught story, a self-made story. She bought her own clubs at age 13 after reselling golf balls that she'd found around a golf course she lived near. And this is a book I found. She wrote an autobiography called From Green to Tea in 2017. And from what I kind of saw and some of the previews, I think it's quite colorful. I think I'm going to have to give that one a read. Yeah, um, I'm going to check it out as well. Yeah. All right, two more. Louise Suggs, uh, the Rookie of the Year Award is named in her honor. She won 61 times on tour, won 11 majors. Uh, she was a former LPGA president. She actually became one of the first female members of the RNA in 2015. 
and mm-hmm. uh, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 91. And that leaves, last but not least, Cody. I This is a name I think everybody has heard, honestly, until I really started like reading about her. I didn't have a sense of appreciation, and that's Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias. I mean, like the preeminent female athlete of the 20th century. Absolutely. Daughter of Norwegian immigrants. She was born down in your neck of the woods, Port Arthur, Texas, made her home uh, in Beaumont for a long time. And I should say, before I read off her athletic achievements, she was apparently like, I I think she was just amazing in everything she did. She (laughs) she won like state sewing competitions as a seamstress. She recorded songs for Mercury Records as a singer and harmonica player. And then that brings us to 1932. She was in the Olympic Games in Los Angeles, where she won gold in the 80-meter hurdles with a world record time of 11.7 seconds. She won gold in the javelin with an Olympic record throw. And then she won silver in the high jump. She's the only athlete, male or female, to win individual Olympic medals in separate running, throwing, and jumping events. Like, that's... I nobody will ever do that. Nope. That's something with with the specialization and everything going on now. She's going to be the only person to ever do that. So she has a bunch of success in the Olympics, track and field running. Um, she she's just everything she does athletically. She's very good at uh, basketball, baseball, billiards. In 1934, she tours the country. Um, she pitches in three spring training games. So she pitches four innings total. She picks, she pitches, pitches a scoreless inning versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now the Red Sox beat her up. They scored three runs against her in an inning. And then she comes back and pitches two scoreless innings versus Cleveland. Uh, and I guess she got an at-bat. It said she lined out. She still holds the record for the farthest baseball thrown by a woman. And in 1935, at the age of 24, she finally takes up golf. I mean, she must have just been bored with everything else. Uh, it takes her about 10 years to, or I guess it doesn't even really take her 10 years, but by 1945, she had qualified and competed in three PGA tour events. She finished tied for 33rd at the Phoenix open and tied for 42nd at the Tucson open. And again, this is not her receiving sponsor exemptions into these PGA tour events. She went out and qualified. For yeah. These she's she's doing events. it her own way. Yes. And makes the cut finishes in the money it's just unbelievable she actually tried to qualify for the 1948 u.s open but the usga denied her saying as a female she wasn't allowed which huge miss on their part uh would have loved if she could have gone through qualifying well she ends up she wins 41 times in her career on the lpga tour including 10 majors she won what was the grand slam in 1950 uh and then in 1953, this is where the, the story really turns tragic. She's diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, she has surgery. She returns to the tour shortly after surgery. In 1954, she wins the Vare Trophy um, and the United States Women's Open while wearing a colostomy bag. I mean, it's just stuff like that. I'm like, I cannot even imagine no. someone being able to do that. I have an upset stomach and I can't leave the house. Yeah. Uh the cancer unfortunately returned in 1955 and she passed away at the age of 45. Think about all she did. All of that. Yeah. At 45. Yeah. Passes away at the age of 45 in 1956. 
she's named i mean the accolades i could spend another hour just reading all the accolades but you know espn named her one of the 10 greatest north american athletes of the 20th century uh sports illustrator named her the second greatest athlete of all time they put jackie joiner kersey at number one she was the ap female athlete of the century in 1999 they they gave her that honor um posthumously was awarded the presidential medal of freedom uh the united states post office has had her on a stamp she has her own museum in beaumont texas i mean this is just i i i know all these things are known i know that she is known but i just wanted to like read through that because it's like holy shit i i just cannot fathom how good of an athlete she was um i think it said she stood like five foot seven weighed about i don't know 115 120 pounds which is wild to me because she had to deal with like a lot of nastiness people thinking she was you know manly and this and that you know I think even though she was married, she was not really a secret. She she was a lesbian as well. Um, so she just took a lot of shit in her day. But it's like, you know, a five foot seven, 115, 120 pound woman is like so normalized these days. And, and obviously rightfully so. But I just can't imagine like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to picture like Nellie Corda going and actually pitching spring training games, right? <laughs> and retiring like major league batters. Or I, I don't know, take your pick. Like Jin Young Ko, oh, well, she happened to win like two Olympic golds in a silver. It, it just boggles my mind. Yeah, the, she truly is like the the goat. I I understand the the recognition of Jackie Joyner Kersey there, but like if you want to talk about overall athletics and like when you said like she just seemed to be like really good at everything she touched like yeah it's yeah. it seems so and then to pass away at the age of 45 anyway yeah. i know Pretty that sure was, like I, yeah I, I thought uh i remember looking this up in the past but i remember being like very interested in because like you said i think it was like a not a like not a very well-kept secret that like she uh she was a lesbian as well but i remember looking up her husband george and i think he was at one point in time was like a professional wrestler he was so he was old school like you yeah. know southern touring days like yeah. just a big bear of a guy yeah yeah i think they met a, uh, they were like paired together at some celebrity tournament and <laughs> married shortly thereafter yeah um so anyway i i was gonna say i know that was very long-winded but i i just wanted to provide a little background on the 13 founders as you watch the event this weekend and they'll surely be mentioned and I'm sure they'll do little profiles on some of them, but it's just a very cool event. And those women are obviously instrumental to the women's game that we have today. And so I, yeah, just wanted to kind of highlight and color in the blanks a little bit, try to, you know, give people a little think about as they hear some of those names. Absolutely. Very well done, Big. I appreciate you doing the research on that. Well, no problem. Codeman, let's uh, let's get out of here. This was a fun one. Always love chatting women's golf with you. We will excitedly be tuned in this weekend to the Founders Cup. You can check coverage. Um, I believe it's early day coverage each uh, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday will be afternoon, uh, primarily on Golf Channel. I believe NBC Sports streaming app will have a little bit of supplemental coverage as well. But we hope everybody enjoys the tournament. Cody, you and I will chat in a couple of weeks here for another LPGA episode. Until then, be well, my man. Yes, sir.
Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 